0: From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators.
1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. What a difference a year makes for Gator Baseball at the College World Series. At this time last season, Florida went 0-2 and was already on their way home from Omaha. This time around, it's the orange and blue in the plum spot after winning their first two and enjoying a couple days off while they let TCU and Louisville battle for the right to join Florida in the semifinals. Today we're covering baseball from all angles, including a conversation with former Gator pitcher Dane Dunning and an all-encompassing chat with FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter. Let's start by hearing from Dunning, who's gone through a whirlwind of a year since being a first-round pick of the Washington Nationals following his junior season as a Gator. Now climbing his way through the minor leagues with a new organization, we began our chat with the Jacksonville native by finding out what it's like watching all of his former teammates compete in Omaha. Um, I mean, it's definitely a different experience um,
0: watching it on TV compared to Being there and watching it live and playing in the game, I mean, it's definitely different. I mean, I'm watching all my old brothers and teammates play, and, I mean, FSU's there, and I have two good buddies on there, three good buddies, sorry, on their team, and, you know, I know a couple people on other teams, and it's, it's different. It's such a great experience and all that, and it's a place that I wish I could go back to and play again.
1: Sully has talked about how this group there this year is maybe a little looser than some of the teams in the past and playing better as a result of that. Do you see a difference when you watch this team compared to what you experienced the last few years?
0: Oh, definitely. Um, I mean, you could just see it in the, like their attitudes and all that. Uh, I mean, you see during the games when one of their guys hits a home run, it's a like a cold shower or something like that. They do (laughs) on one of the trainers or something like that. Like we were never able to do that when we went there and, when we did that, we usually got yelled at, but we did it anyways, <laughs> and it makes it more relaxing. Because in my opinion, when coaches are down your throat the whole time, it, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on yourself, puts mm-hmm. a lot of pressure on the team, and all that. So it's just, I feel like when you got to get to this point, I mean, yeah, there's still you still need to, you know, chirp at them or something like that. But at this point, you just gotta let them play. You gotta let them, let them go have fun.
1: There's so much talk about experience and and what that does in Omaha how much of this team's ability to get to this stage this year is a result of what your team's accomplished last few years. And just having those experiences to know what to expect.
0: I mean, the juniors on that team has been to home all the past two years. They've been there with us and uh, they know the ropes. They've been there. They've they're doing everything like correctly and stuff for that. And I mean, especially with this team, they started off and they had a really cold start. I should have to say they they didn't have the greatest start to the season Mm -hmm. and for them to come around, turn it around and put it together like this. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, they're going out there, they're having fun. They're not, they're not trying to stress on what's happening. They're just going out there playing the game. And when that happens, when you have fun like that, I mean, things happen for you.
1: One of the things that's been different here in the last few weeks is having Mike Rivera back behind the plate. And as someone who you had the chance to be part of the battery with, what can you say about his importance and the value he brings when he's catching? Mike Rivera behind the plate is, hands
0: down, is one of the best catchers I've ever played with, ever. He works for you behind the plate. He tries to get those calls. He, I mean, he sticks pitches on the corners. He blocks for you. He, I mean, he does everything. Like He's a team guy. And, I mean, if there's more players like him, then that's how I feel like that's how people should want to play. It's the mm-hmm. way he plays. He just got... He's got that grit, that intensity, that want to win. He's a gamer. He's one of those like low key guys. Like he doesn't have the most outstanding stuff. Like he doesn't have uh, Giancarlo Stanton pop or right. stuff like that. But he's one of those guys where if there's a pressure situation on, like guy in third or second with two outs and it's the winning run, I want him up the plate. Mm-hmm. I want him behind the plate. Like he's one of those guys. He he works, and that's that's why I love him the most.
1: The Gators are 2-0. They're in the winner's bracket, and they've had to get through some bad breaks. there've already been a couple of times there have been close calls. They've gone against the Gators, and then replays on TV showed that the calls were wrong, but they're not able to be changed. Fans and media people talk about this a lot, but I'm curious, from a player perspective, do you think there should be more replay, or do you like it the way it is?
0: In my opinion, it's the game of baseball. I mean, that's how it's always been. you know, you, you got to go out there, and even if the umpire is terrible and doesn't know what they're doing or calling or anything, you got to be able to go out there and still compete mm-hmm. and hold that composure. So, I mean, that's where I grew up, like playing through college, stuff like that, except for last year we had a play called back against Coastal, and it was initially called foul, but then they called it fair. Mm-hmm. See, like stuff like that, because obviously when I'm on the, the losing side of that, I mean, I don't want that to happen, but... When you're on the winning side of that, it's like, oh, cool. But sure. <laughs> in, my, in my ultimate opinion, I don't like the replays.
1: Talking about your, your former teammates, which guys are you still able to keep up with? And, and what do they say to you about what's going on right now?
0: Um, I mean, I try to shoot a text to like Blake Reese, Alex Fajardo, just like a couple of the guys that I played with and I was good friends with and stuff like that throughout the team. I mean, I'm good friends with all of them. It's just, you know, people that I'm more or less related to the most. And um, mm-hmm. so I kind of shoot them a text every once in a while, just, see how things are going and stuff like that how Sully treating them and all that um, right now since they're in playoffs and they have the draft and stuff like that I've been trying to stay away from them trying not to kind of get all in their face and right. all that. So, right.
1: since you left Gainesville as a first round pick you've had quite the journey can you take us through the last year and just all that you've gone through? It's been kind of
0: kind of drastic i should say i mean i've been through a bunch i I guess um so initially i was drafted by the washington nationals where i started off in their kind of rookie ball area Mm -hmm. Um, i was there for one start and i was i pitched two innings i had a two clean innings shut out and then they immediately sent me up to auburn new york to play for the auburn double days the short season team and that's where i finished off just so they can keep me out of like an inning limit and all mm-hmm. that that way i don't gas myself out because i'm still learning i was still learning that new rotation and all that and then um so the season finished off you know finished off with a like great group of guys and all that and then it comes to the off season to get traded in december to the white Sox for uh adam eaton and uh so i mean going to spring training i knew no one mm-hmm. actually I, I think i knew well i knew three people there it was Tyler Danish who was committed to Florida ended up getting second round pick to the White Sox in 2013 then I knew um Carson Fulmer because went to Vanderbilt me and him kind of mm-hmm. chatted a bunch and then uh I knew Zach Collins from Miami so other than that that's the only three people I knew going into there so I kind of like texted them and talked to them about it, a little bit of stuff but when I got there man I met a good group of guys I mean like a lot of friendly a lot of friendly people here it's He's got a lot of good vibes going on. And then started off in Canapolis and pitched pretty good, in my opinion. Um, Went out there and had a a good little streak going on. And then got moved up to Winston-Salem and been here ever since. It's been kind of a a hectic journey so far because I've been bouncing around so much, Mm -hmm. but I'm enjoying the
1: ride. What would you say have been the biggest adjustments going from college baseball to the minor leagues? I
0: would have to say, like, the umpire, like, pitching perspective, the umpires don't have. I feel like in the college you don't really realize it but they have a lot bigger zone than they do in the minors like the zone is where you get black majority of the time right there on the black mm-hmm. like the corners of the plate and they don't really give that much i mean you you'll find a, a few friendly umpires who give like a little bit off the plate but other than that there's not much and um i mean other than that it's in my opinion is I mean, it's the same game it's the same stuff you gotta go out there with the same attitude i mean even if you're college professional the big leagues you gotta go out there you gotta compete and that's the name of the game
1: one of the cool things that happened when you were traded to Chicago is that you're now in the same organization as your older brother. Uh, how much do you dream about the chance to play together down the road? Honestly, that's me
0: and him being able to play together. That'll be, that'll be one of the best things that'll be, ever happen to me.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the only thing that's
0: better than that would be me playing with him in the big leagues or just me playing in the big leagues. Sure. Uh, I mean, he's six and a half years older than me. He's been out of the house since I was in middle school and mm-hmm like we've never been able to play on the same team or anything. So like, if we ever get the the chance to play on the same team, it'd be one of the coolest things we always talked about growing up, how like, if you ever heard of those like Morgan and Morgan commercials, like the Morgan and Morgan for the people, right. We'd always just mess around. It would be like Dunning and Dunning for the
1: people. <laughs> <laughs> Dunning and Dunning for the pitchers.
0: Yeah. And I mean, now we're on like we're on the white Sox organization together. And I mean, it's, there's an opportunity for us to do that. And I mean, he's got to go out there and compete and be able to keep a spot. And then I got to go out there and perform if you were to move up quick enough. But, I mean, anything can happen. I mean, he's sure. one of my biggest mentors in my, like, my career my life.
1: What position does he play and where in the organization is he right now? Um, he's a
0: pitcher as well. I think right now he's long relief or he might be set up right now out of the pen. I'm not entirely sure. Mainly when we talk right now, it's not really about baseball. It's just chatting on. Sure. Life, I guess. Um, but yeah, like he's up in AAA right now for the Charlotte Knights. He's right there to the big leagues. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, hopefully he can just keep performing well and he gets a nice little call up. He's literally right there, <laughs> yeah, right on the cusp. The miners are known for a lot of things, but one of the, the things people love is the crazy promotions they do and, and the tactics to engage the fans give them to come out in, in the places you've been, what have been some of the wildest promotions that you've seen at, at the ballpark?
0: Well, here in Winston-Salem, we have more or less, we have like games that happen throughout all the time. So, uh, we have like one, it's called the impossible challenge. You have to eat like six saltine crackers in less than a minute, which is impossible because your mouth dries up so much you can't really <laughs> swallow the food. So, Never like, I thought about that. It's funny. So, they're like, they like chewing it, and then at the end, they tell them to, like, to scream a big, like give them a big go dash because we're the to salem dash. Right. And when they do that, they just spit saltine crackers <laughs> everywhere. And it's really funny. Um, the other one we do is a, uh, they tie up two contestants with a bungee cord and they put on a cone on both sides of them. They put an apple on top of it and they got to run and pull the other person <laughs> and grab the apple with their mouth and then go off, like go off to their sides and drop the apple in like a little bucket. And they have to like fight themselves doing that. And it's, it's hysterical watching them because one person usually ends up on their butt. And right. So it's really funny. <laughs>
1: If you could give any advice to your teammates back at Florida about life in the minors and what you've experienced, what would that be?
0: The minors is a grind. I mean, professional baseball is a grind. You, you play games every day. Um, you go out there and you have to practice before mm-hmm. the games and you're I mean, you're at the field there all day. So, I mean, it's a big time grind and you got to be mentally prepared to be able to do this. You want to be able to go out there because the way I think of it, I don't think baseball is a job. i I'm out here having fun. Mm-hmm. That's the way I think of it. I'm playing like a kid's game for a living and I'm enjoying life and enjoying my ride. And, and I'm going to keep doing that until that ends. And hopefully that's not until way later in my career. Sure.
1: Final thing for you, when you think back about your time at Florida, what's the most important thing that you learned from Kevin O'Sullivan and the staff that's helped you get to where you are? The most important thing that I've learned is
0: that no matter what happens in the game, you got to be able to go out there with the same composure and compete. Even if you give up a grand slam or if you walk a batter or you strike out three guys, you got to go out there and you still got to get the next guy. And then that's the biggest thing. You got to go out there, you got to compete. And that's the, I guess the biggest word is compete. You got to go out there and be able to locate pitches in Mm -hmm. key situations and stuff like that. That's the, I mean that's the biggest thing that they taught me throughout my three years there. I mean I got a lot of lip lashings from Soli just from <laughs> over the years cuz I know he wants me to get better and stuff sure. like that. So I mean he's a heck of a coach he's done he's given a lot of people a lot of good advice and there's a lot of people in the big leagues because of him.
1: Well Dan, we we hear great things about what you're doing in the minors and we hope you keep on progressing up and look forward to seeing you in the big sometime soon.
0: Appreciate it.
1: Confidence and approach can be just as critical as skill and endurance in a tournament like the College World Series, and this group of Gators certainly seem to have a different mindset than previous squads. In a wide-ranging chat about baseball and some football nuggets, we began our conversation with Scott Carter by finding out what he thinks has allowed Kevin O'Sullivan's team to find so much success when it means the most.
2: Well, I think attitude more than anything, uh, Adam, uh, you know, Florida... has been to Omaha several times in recent years. And there's always been a perception that once they get here, they get a little tight and hampers their ability on the field. And and this team, just talking to a couple players after last night's game, Mike Revere was saying, you know what? We've had the team on paper before to win this thing, but it wasn't always the right approach. They said this year's approach is what happens, happens. Let's enjoy our trip. Let's have fun out here and let's play like we know how. And it's certainly working in the first two games. And Kevin O'Sullivan, this was interesting after last night's game. I mean, he's addressed this a couple of times recently about, you know, how he's even taken a more laid-back approach. He used to plan ahead for the whole tournament almost, like matchups. And Mm. he said basically he's only, like before the first game he got out here, he had the TCU folder on his desk and nothing else. And then last night he dropped a bomb that he's not even checking curfew. I mean, he trusts these players. He says this is a different group of guys that maybe they've had, and uh, it's certainly shown them the field. I mean, obviously the defining part of the first two games is the great starting pitching that sure. Alex Frando and Brady Singer have uh, given the Gators. But I do believe there is a, a new mindset in their approach to just coming out to Omaha. And, you know, everybody's talented out here. So if you do get tight and you're not playing up your ability, you know, it's going to cost you. And I think the Gators have suffered those kind of costs over the years. But uh, they're going to the zoo today, Adam, so oh, wow. it is a little different approach, one that, <laughs> one that we haven't seen maybe before and, and one that certainly is paying off right now.
1: You're going back to what you were saying a second ago about Florida having a different approach and really the mindset being one of the, the biggest changes. Do you think it's a direct result of their fortunes out there in recent years? Was it a concerted effort to change the way they went about things because they didn't have the success that they wanted before?
2: Yeah, I do. I think Kevin O'Sullivan has kind of uh, addressed that in that manner that he's tried to learn something every time he's come out here. He said, this is the sixth time in eight years he's been out here. So he's had a, a lot of chance to learn. I mean, and I, you look back at some of these teams. I mean, you got to remember, like in 2010, when they came out here, that was his first time. The other day, uh, Austin Maddox got called up to the Red Sox. He's the 10th player off of that 2010 team to make the majors now, Wow, which SEC record. So I mean they've always had the talent, but uh talent doesn't always win at Omaha. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, the 2012 team was the number one seed. I think the 2016 team was projected mm-hmm. to win it. They've always had the players, they've always had the arms, but for whatever reason it's never worked out. And I think use the same approach uh and it doesn't work for you. I mean, you if you're a good smart coach, you're gonna alter some things. And I think, you know, that's what Kevin O'Sullivan has done with this group. And and he spoke a lot about having that trust factor with this group he even went into detail last night about he's been so involved in recruiting these classes and this group specifically that he knows these guys he knows their families I mean it's important that he's bringing in a kind of player a kind of kid that he can trust out here so you know he feels good not having a check curfew he feels good if they want to hang out more in their free time with their family or their girlfriends or whatever And, uh, and you can just tell it's it's kind of being portrayed in just the way that the players are acting, even at the ball game yesterday before the game, some guys were dancing around and playing. And I just don't remember seeing a lot of that in in past trips out here.
1: You noted the performances so far from Alex Fiedo and from Brady Singer on the mound, which just really set the tone for Florida. What made them so effective? What stood out about each of their starts through the first two games?
2: Oh, they both had their top stuff. Uh, their pitches were working. You know, we'll start with Alex Fado on Sunday night. He was throwing in the mid-90s, but that slider of his his out pitch was working. He, he got a big strikeout early on the Evan scalg in that game when he faced really his only real trouble in that game. And, uh, you know, that's got to give him confidence. And he was just done. I mean, that's why he's a first-round pick. He has electric mm-hmm. stuff. When his pitches are doing what he's wanting and when he has the command of the strike zone, that's what you see, even against a good lineup like at TCU, uh, he put them down. And uh, then yesterday it was almost a little bit like a instant replay with Brady Singer, uh, who really, to me, has probably thrown the best that I've seen him at Florida these last couple outings. You know, going back to the Super Regional against Wake Forest, and then last night his fastball was just moving all over the place, getting guys out. And you know, he cruised through the first six, and then when he did hit trouble there in the seventh. He gutted it out. I mean, there, I thought maybe a Sullivan would take him out when bases were loaded and mm-hmm. two were out. Then he gets behind in the count, and Mike Rivera just went out there and said, basically, man, just throw the ball. You've got the stuff. You know what you're doing here. Throw the ball, see if they can hit it, and we'll see how it goes the guy grounds out to short to end the inning, and Brady Singer gets a win.
1: Given the way this team is built, how critical is it for them to be in the winner's bracket and have the ability to set up their starting pitching Pretty much the the rest of the week.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the perfect scenario for any of the team out here in Omaha. And, you know, this is Florida's eleventh all time trip to the College World Series, but this is only the third time they've ever won the first two games. Wow! So now you you can start Jackson Kowar Friday night and come back with Alex Fado on schedule, and then Brady Singer. And I mean, it really is the optimum uh, scenario because. That's what this team is really built on that starting pitching. I mean, that's been their trademark all season, and it's showcased here in the first two games of the College World Series. And they've also developed some depth in the bullpen now with uh, the emergence of Tyler Dyson as that bridge guy between those starters and closer Michael Byrne. And, you know, he finished out senior start last night in his first ever College World Series appearance. He was telling me after the game that last year, this time, he had just gotten on campus at UF and I was getting ready for summer B classes, watching the team play on TV out here. And now here he was last night, you know, getting the uh, Cardinals out, the final four outs and uh, getting their second win. But the recipe for success out here, Adam, has always been try to get those first two games, keep your pitching on schedule and see what happens. And I think I saw a note last night, 23 of the last 27 College World Series winners have uh, won their first two games here in
1: Omaha. The only real concern for Florida at this point going into Friday is the the health of Nelson Maldonado, who got hurt in the first game and then got another knock in game two. What do we know about his status?
2: Yeah, know, well, of all indications, he's fine. I mean, it's kind of funny because I know the TV telecast on ESPN was making a, a more bigger deal out of that maybe than what like, Gator fans who have watched this team all year. Maldonado suffered an ankle injury, what, on Sunday night, round and third on a play. He was okay yesterday, still maybe a little hobbled by that. But then last night at 30, dives in and and jams his, uh, I think, left shoulder, uh, got up. But if you watch the Gators play all year, you know that Maldonado is one of those guys that he's a clutch player, probably their most patient hitter. But he's also, you know, he he takes a little time to shake things off on the field. Sometimes, you know, it's just like him kind of going through his motions to make sure that body part works still like it should. (laughs) he checks this body part. So I don't think it's anything the Gators are too concerned about. Uh, Having two days to rest is obviously an advantage for Florida in dealing with uh,
1: that. Speaking of guys who've gotten knocked around this year, certainly Mike Rivera is in that category. He hasn't been quite as big at the plate since he's returned. But how important has it been for him to be behind the plate here at the College World Series?
2: You know, he's such a high baseball IQ. He knows these pitchers. Probably better than they know themselves, and and that you know, anytime you have a catcher like that, that is going to benefit your staff and your team. And having him healthy, having him back there defensively, I mean, he saved the run last night early in the game. Uh, there was a guy on third, and the singer dropped a breaking ball in the dirt, and he backhanded it. In fact, mm-hmm. ball gets by him. I mean, that's that's a run for Louisville so he, he is not hitting the way uh that he would like you know still recovering from that broken bone in his hand and they, the hand strength's not there he even addressed that uh, after the game because you gotta remember he had that one hit to right field that the outfielder dropped for an error and he made second he said you know he didn't realize that he even hit the ball that far but that was one of his better contact at bats in quite a while and there's several guys in that category who aren't exactly hitting the way they probably won't right now, mm-hmm. but uh, when you have Rivera back there behind the plate and you have Brady Singer and Alex Fado throwing like like they have the first couple of games out here, uh, you know you don't have to t- score a ton of runs, but they'll certainly want to add some options to the mix the longer they're out here.
1: You know It's hard to make direct comparisons because of how different the sports are. But I, when I watch this Gator baseball team, I'm reminded of Florida softball in 2014 when they made their run to win a national title in the sense that it definitely wasn't the most talented team that Tim Walton had taken to the World Series, but things were just working at the right time. It was led by dominant pitching, clutch hits, and it wasn't necessarily putting gaudy numbers up on the board, but it was just about timing and just having things happen when they needed to happen do you get that same sort of sense with, with this year's team for Kevin O'Sullivan
2: yeah there's definitely some mojo there working at them because uh, you know I'll go back to the Super Regional when they lost the second game to Wake Forest on a walk-off home run in my head I'm like you know they've had a good run but that's just that's going to be hard for those guys to overcome mm-hmm. and then of course they end up going out there and pitching a shutout with Singer and Dyson kind of emerging, and then Alex Fado actually earning his first career save. They get out here to Omaha, and they kind of crank it back up right off of some of the uh, success they had in the Super Regional in that final game, and it's carried over. and I think that's the sign of, you know, you look back in the baseball history. I mean, baseball is a sport that does equal out talent more than any other game, Mm -hmm. and I do believe that that comparison is probably pretty fair. I mean, when I've written this, I've looked at it, you know, you can look at the six teams that Kevin O'Sullivan has brought here. And I, I would say this might be the one that's most flawed. The one that has the least top chef talent. I mean, this is a team that lost three pitchers from last year's staff that were direct two were first rounders and Logan shore was high second round. Then you lose guys like buddy Reed and Pete Alonzo. I mean, they lost 10 players in the first 10 rounds of the major league draft last year. And yet here they are back and they've won their first two games. And last year, they were two and out. So, just shows you, man. You, if you're playing well, you got the right mindset. And I think the key goes back to what we talked about earlier in the podcast. They're loose. They're yeah. having fun, and you you have to have that mentality to uh, succeed on this stage.
1: Let's talk about what's next for Florida in this run now. Unlike on the softball side, we're making some comparisons. uh, There is no bracket flip after the 2-0 games. So that means Florida is going to face a team they've already played. It's going to be either TCU or Louisville again. But the difference is those teams are going to have to play once more on Thursday before turning around and playing Florida Friday. So what do we think about where that leaves the matchup potentially for the Gators in that Friday contest?
2: Well, it's a huge advantage uh, for Florida because, by that time, you know, th- that team, whether it's TCU or Louisville, they're going to have to play back-to-back days. Florida's going to come off two days rest. Florida's pitching is going to be rested. Their bullpen's going to be rested. Uh, the other team could be uh, stretched out. They may have to uh, just patchwork it together. Uh, so it's a huge advantage for Florida. And then, let's say, Florida were to lose that game. Then they come back and play them again over the weekend. So it, it, it even extends the opponent further. So... Mm-hmm it just really does go all back. I mean, you can, you can see why winning your first two games here does make a world difference. And, and oddly, like I said earlier, 23 of the last 27 winners out here did win their first two games. And one of the four that didn't was last year, coastal Carolina. They shocked a lot of people by their ability to come back and win the the college world series. And they did it with a rubber arm pitcher. I Mm -hmm. can't remember his name right now, but I know the guy made three starts out here and was spectacular every time. And, uh, you know, unless one of these staffs have maybe a guy like that in their back pocket, it's tough. But I, I like the way Florida's pitching is set up. And if there's one thing right now that you would say, okay, Florida has the advantage to get out of this bracket into the championship round, it's because of that pitching.
1: One thing that I noticed watching the game on Tuesday night, I actually I even tweeted you about this to try and get some clarification is why Florida was the visiting team, and both of them were coming off of being home teams in game one. And and I was confused because I've spent so much time at the Women's College World Series. I know that in that situation, the higher seed gets to be the home team. But in baseball still, it's a coin flip. Uh, Do we need to change this here? Do you think baseball is a little bit behind the times in terms of rewarding teams for what they accomplished during the season?
2: Well, oh, definitely. I think it's the most stupid rule in sports. I mean, we thought we. <laughs> That's with... very
1: bold. There's a lot of dumb rules in sports.
2: Well, this has to be right at the top of the list because well, like, even at the regional and super regional, the Gators, you know, they're obviously the top seed they're hosting. They're the number three national seed. And yet they're flipping coins to determine if they're the home team or the weight team. Mm-hmm. Why even have the seeding? Right. If you're going... So, yeah, they're way behind on that rule. And. You know, I I don't know whoever was in some meeting in past years. Oh, this is a good idea.
1: (laughs) And speaking of things that are maybe outdated, need to change, there have already been multiple close calls in Omaha that have gone against the Gators. And I know fans have been going nuts on social media when the TV replays show that there's almost certainly been an injustice committed against Florida. Are you satisfied to the extent which they're using replay at the World Series, or do we need to expand that as well?
2: Well, I mean, I think last night you saw a couple of cases where the obviously Dalton Guthrie was clearly safe at first base. Replay would have overturned that. I mean, I, I still like the human element of the game, but obviously that is going out in most sports. I think all sports are going to be replay oriented, and everything's going to be determined, you know, right. Thankfully, because of uh, you do have that technology at your disposal, and I think in college baseball. They haven't added plays at first, for instance, yet. You know, they have certain situations like fan interference and home runs, foul and fair balls. Eventually, I'm sure they'll get to that point, or you would think so with the way uh, the technology and sports is moving. Uh, but you know, it, I just you just want to get it right. You know, if it's a one-one game there, and the winning or the go-ahead run would have scored, and the Gators lose, I mean, it's a huge controversy. So I hope that eventually they do get replay uh, extended in the college baseball game and so you, you, you can avoid some of those misfortunes that you know have caused people in the past
1: well and also you need to mention the base runner at third making contact clear physical contact with the base coach who happened to be his dad but nonetheless he should have been out by rule and that would have ended the inning so there's just there's so many examples of this that I know it's it's driving fans crazy
2: yeah, I don't know. With it being his dad, maybe they were just hugging. I don't know. But <laughs> it, I did see that on my Twitter feed that a lot of people were upset. But, again, by rule, I don't know. The umpires seem like they just tossed the rule book out there. Yeah, I guess.
1: Well, sometimes so. that happens. Uh, so the College World Series continues Friday for Florida. They will play either TCU or Louisville both those teams they already beat in games one and games two let's talk a little football here Scott I know this is about the time when people are starting to get into it media days not too far away and more things to talk about with players finally arriving on campus new players I should say
2: yeah the Florida's a uh, 2017 recruiting class signed in February those guys who didn't early enroll uh, they got on campus this week getting enrolled start classes in summer beat next week the week for them is you know they're they're getting measured. They're doing medical tests. They're uh, taking physicals. It's just basically getting acclimated, moving into their dorms, and uh, getting a little taste of college life before the real thing starts. Uh, but you know, anytime that those new guys get on campus, there's always a kind of a midsummer buzz from the football fans and the you know guys like Marco Wilson mm-hmm. came yesterday. Quincy's little brother. He's already tweeting pictures of his sign in the locker room and introducing himself. You know, the, the guy that's getting a lot of attention, obviously, is the transfer quarterback from Notre Dame, graduate transfer Malik Zaire. He's here. He's going to be in the running, at least in some role, at the quarterback position. Personally, you know, I think a good case scenario for Florida is that maybe this inspires or does something with Felipe Franks. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. you obviously, we've talked about this before. If you're him, you're sitting there probably thinking, boy, they must not have a lot of confidence in me. So maybe this turns up to battle during camp. But they, they have a guy now like they had in Austin Appleby last year, mm-hmm. although Zara is a lot less experienced than Appleby was, who can at least challenge that room, maybe help provide a veteran presence. But really, this is more about the future and the young players this time of year to me. It's when you get that freshman class here, get them into your program, Get them acclimated to the expectations of playing college football for, a, you know, a top Division one program like Florida. And uh, it's hard to believe, Adam. You're right. I'm sitting here in Omaha right now getting really got baseball in my mind.
1: And yet, what, about two or three weeks, I'll be at the SEC Media Days in Hoover. So,
2: football <laughs> season, it never slows Welcome. down, man.
1: Yeah. It was interesting watching the game on Tuesday night as I was looking on the bottom line, what came across the news about Will Greer. It no longer impacts Florida, but it's really fascinating, Scott, because if people didn't hear about this, Will Greer was apparently granted a waiver by the NCAA to play at the beginning of this season for West Virginia, which goes against what they said before, which was that he was going to have to sit out through the middle of this year because otherwise you're essentially letting him skirt out on the transfer sit-out window, serving it concurrently with his drug suspension. So it's, you know, if, if we were here trying to understand the NCAA and their rationale, this would be a three-hour podcast with no resolution. But it's got to be strange for Florida fans and frustrating to see that Will Greer was able to really go around the system up at West Virginia.
2: You know, basically it opened a door, I think, in NCAA rulebook for other players who maybe encounter such situations. Hey, I can transfer and uh, I can, I can get around some of these uh, rules or these punishments. So it's something that you know, if you're NCAA, it's again, it's a bad look on how you can do that, and it's something that they need to tighten up in their rule book. And uh, you know, obviously, West Virginia fans are happy. I think Florida fans have kind of written that chapter off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how he does this year. There's no doubt uh, that he's got talent. You know, you look at Florida's quarterback history since. I hate to keep going back to Tim Tebow, <laughs> but I mean, it's uh, you know, I still didn't have gray hair when and Tebow played, yeah. and, and now I do. But, I mean, he's probably been the most promising guy at that position since then, and it just didn't work out at Florida for him. And now the Gators uh, are clearly, you know, still trying to find that final piece of the puzzle that I think can maybe, instead of just being SEC's champions, finally – the SEC champions overall and that's what Jim McIlwain obviously is chasing so we'll see how it works out with what they have this year see how it works out with will agree maybe they'll meet in a bowl game
1: yeah it's always possible and I'm sure Jim McElwain wasn't thrilled when he saw that news but he's probably still pretty happy overall because he got himself a nice contract extension and a raise last week so too did Mike White and it, it's a real clear vote of confidence from Scott Strickland, that even though these were not, quote, his guys that he hired, he clearly believes in them for the future of those two programs.
2: Yeah, I mean, both programs are uh, definitely training in the right direction. I mean, McElwain, you know, we talk a lot about, and he talks a lot about, got to find that quarterback. But to be able to lead this program to -to back-to-back SEC titles with some talent deficiencies at key positions, I mean, it's pretty impressive. I mean, hats off to what him and his staff have done. And I think, uh, you know, he's kind of lined up more now in pace scale with some of the other coaches who have accomplished that kind of winning track uh, Mm -hmm. around the country and in the SEC specifically. And then Mike White, I mean, what a jump that program took from year one to year two. And he's, uh, I mean, he's clearly one of the up and comers, really just made a great impression, I think, with the fans and what they were able to do, make that run all the way to the what elite eight. So yeah, you know, you look back just when Billy Donovan left, you're like, I mean, it was kind of a crushing blow in some way mm-hmm. for the athletic department because he was such a, a winner and such a big part of the Gators. And and here, you know, in a relatively quick amount of time, I think most fans feel, hey, you know what, we got a pretty good one there. And I think the same goes uh, with Jim McLean with football. So so the two big coaches on campus, they're well paid and uh, appreciated financially.
1: No question about that. And uh, one final thing before we go, we, we try and jump outside the box a little bit here on Gator Tales and get your takes on some of the more interesting things happening around sports, not just for Florida. But uh, one of the reasons the College World Series is now taken center stage is that the NBA Finals ended a little sooner than anticipated because the super teams won out, uh, specifically Golden State, the Durant Gamble worked. I remember we talked about this last summer. Uh, And now, you know, here it is coming to fruition. So now it's, well, how can Cleveland become an even bigger super team to get back and beat Golden State? I personally don't like what this has done to the sport. I don't think it's good for the game, and I'm I'm curious for your take on it.
2: I got to agree with you there. I mean, I don't like it either. Um, I mean, the whole Kevin Durant to Golden State last summer, I mean, you almost felt like they bought the title right that moment. Sure. Uh, when you team him in. And, you know, this is nothing new in sports. I love great rivalries. I love, mm-hmm. like, you know, I remember in the 90s, you had the Cowboys and 49ers in the NFC. Of course, I, I'm a child of the 80s. So, the Celtics and Lakers, mm-hmm. I mean, that was great rivalry. And they dominated the league at that time. But there was this thing about that where they both teams were kind of developed organically with the draft and Magic Johnson and Larry right. Bird. right. And they added players through the draft, and, of course, they signed some free agents as well, but it, it started organically, and now it's like, okay, it's just Cleveland and uh, Golden State say, hey, we're going to stack our rosters. Nobody else can touch us, and we're going to go at it. And it, it just kind of like, man, I mean, the playoffs, to be honest with you, I didn't pay much attention until the finals. Yeah, they weren't then. very exciting. No, they weren't exciting, and, I mean, I, I respect what Golden State did, but I, I still like it back in the old days. Like, I never thought that even the Michael Jordan's heyday with those Bulls teams, when they were winning, what, six out of eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you had the Pistons as a threat. You had uh, Celtics were still there for a little while. I I'd always thought there was some challenge that they were going to face. I remember the Cavs were really good. But with this Golden State team, I mean, did you think anybody was really going to touch them through the playoffs? No. Until Cleveland? No. And, then I, and really, I didn't even think Cleveland. As great as LeBron is, I just didn't feel they really were going to challenge Golden State this year. I mean, as far as just a collection of uh, two great players and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant, or obviously you probably got to mention Clay Thompson yeah. in
1: there. Yeah, Draymond I, Green's pretty good too. Iguodala's yeah, I mean, still pretty good. They have too many good players to lose in theory.
2: Yeah, they've taken advantage of this window, and uh, you know if those guys stay together, they can they can win a few more. But I do love the arguments like you hear on talk radio and just on the internet about the greatest of all time, which I've never believed you can, you can never crown that, but. I still take some of my old teams in the
1: past to get the 17 Warriors Adam. We've got that verdict down in the book. Thank you very much. And, uh, again, we encourage everybody to stay locked in to FloridaGators.com, follow you at Gators Scott as you'll continue to bring updates from Omaha. And hopefully this time next week we're talking about Florida's first national championship in baseball.
2: Yeah, they're out here. They're playing well. We've got some good fans out here. So it's going to be fun. And, uh, you know, hopefully people check us out while we
1: do on FloridaGators.com. Well, Scott, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, we encourage you to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Follow Gator Baseball as they continue their journey into the semifinals of the College World Series Friday at 8 on ESPN, and then come back here next week as we'll break down what we hope is Florida's first national title in baseball. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Omaha.